And I asked God this question in this series specifically. God, how does this fit? Like, I don't understand why you want me to do a series on Nehemiah leading into the Super Bowl of all Sundays for the church. That's going to not excite people on the way to Easter. I like to excite people on the way to Easter. And I don't know if you've read Nehemiah recently, Jesus, but Nehemiah is not the most exciting book that you had written. I was just... And then I began to understand, God, how does this fit? You ever ask God that question? Lord, how does this fit? And this doesn't make any sense. God, I don't understand. What I have found, not in your notes, what I have found is that God shows me how things fit. Actually, let me say it this way. God has shown me how he can make things fit whenever I learn how to follow Very similar to Nehemiah getting out of the comfort of the palace as a cupbearer and becoming, come on, providing a covering for a people as a wall builder. But he had to get out of his comfort zone in order to understand what God had. He had to learn to examine himself. We learn all of this from Nehemiah. He had to learn how to examine himself and examine his atmosphere in order to understand what God had in in place for him. He had to guard the gates. Come on, he had to be mindful of what was being allowed into and what needed to get out of. We gotta be mindful. Somebody gotta help me preach. We're gonna be here till noon. So (laughs) we got another service. They'll just come sit with us. (laughs) He He had to be mindful of what needed to come into the city and what needed to be removed from. He had to rebuild those walls. Come on, he had to face opposition all the way. God, I already left my comfort zone. Why is all this opposition? All this opposition must be an indication that I'm not supposed to be doing this. Okay, I'll go back. (laughs) No, no, no. Nehemiah had to face his opposition. And in the face of opposition, we quoted a phrase last week that I had too much fun saying. I'm talking all week long. We've been saying it to one another in the house. Flip it, Jesus. Just flip it. Every time that the opposition came, Nehemiah flipped it. Next time, if I ever preach that sermon again. It'd be seven years from now if I preach it again here. But if I ever get to preach it again, I'm going to have like five tables. I'm going to be flipping stuff. (laughs) Just jumping around, flipping things. You got to learn to follow. Especially, hear me, listen. You got to learn to follow, especially in the face of opposition. And find and discover what God has. God, I don't know how you're going to fix this. I don't know how you're going to do this. Two weeks ago, the Holy Spirit gave me an acronym. Acronym for TOP. T-O-P. It was already in my notes, and then somebody confirmed it after I wrote the sermon for this week. God, how are we going to do this? Together. Isn't it good to know that God doesn't expect you to accomplish his will alone? Like, that makes me feel better. Because I'm good at messing stuff up. Come on. (laughs) Putting them back together. Like, I don't put people together. Come on, I don't want you to blame me when you break up. I don't do that. (laughs) People come to me and say, we want to get married. I try to talk them out of it. (laughs) Like, oh, man, come to me with your pre-marriage advising. I'll help you. Because if I can break you up before you make a covenant, then you didn't need to make it to begin with. Come on, somebody. (laughs) No, 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 you face the opposition, and you learn how to follow Jesus. You get uncomfortable. Now, listen, listen. 
as you obey, you begin to observe. That's what happened to me with this series. God, I was, Nehemiah? Our staff, too, when I said it, they were like, Pastor wants to preach a series on Nehemiah. I'm like, I know, okay? I'm pretty sure it's God. <laughs> I think it is. And then we began to discover all of these lessons. And I'm telling you, I have had a blast personally studying these scriptures and seeing how actually applicable they still are today. You know, think about it with me for a second. Hone in. That time that the people of God took the ability to gather together behind their walls for granted. The people of God took for granted their ability to physically gather behind their walls. And so like he did through the prophet Jeremiah, come on, in the book of Daniel, just like he did there, God quarantined his people. I mean, he exiled his people. He sent them to church at home. I mean, Babylon, come on. And then they had been there for what seemed like several years. Because <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had, tried to have a service with an eight, six, and four-year-old. Bless the Lord. <laughs> Come on, you trying to get fed, they want some food. It just don't work out <laughs> at the same time. And after... A few hundred years, I know it was only 100 days, but it felt like forever. I'm telling you, every time I see a Facebook memory of last year, I get PTSD. I'm like, <laughs> I rebuke them in Jesus' name. If somebody shares me or tags me, I unfriend them. You're like, <laughs> you are no longer allowed in my life. <laughs> After a few hundred years, John Bell Edwards, I mean, King Cyrus said, hey, Zerubbabel. 25% of the people can go back. And so the first wave of people came back out of Babylon, out of the Persian Empire, and they got to go back to the house of God. And they were like, man, feels weird in here. It's kind of empty. Do we always have this few chairs? What do we do? We're like, I see people I know, but it's been a while. So I'm like, like an Air 5 Hey, somebody tries to come in like, no, <laughs> I don't know what to do. You know, they got back there. They're like, I guess we should like rebuild the altars or something. Maybe we should like do something with the temple. Find some sanitizer. <laughs> then they, 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 they got back and they rebuilt some of the altars and, and, and they, they began to, you know, be okay with gathering again and. And then the second wave, King Cyrus said, all right, 50% of y'all even allowed the priests to take them. Ezra led them back. 50% came back to join the 25%. And they were like, whoa, <laughs> kind of getting too many people in here. So Ezra started trying to bring order. You know, it didn't just set up a fog machine at the back door. He's like, all right, we're going to spray between services. We're going to check y'all's kids. Kids coming in. I saw one kid coming in during the pandemic. He, somebody did him like that. He ducked him. He's like, hey. He's like, it's okay. They're just checking your temperature. My man, like, pulled another thermometer out. Check you. 
Ezra began to reestablish the word of God. And, and the book of Ezra and Nehemiah was actually considered one book until a rabbi in the 16th century decided to, to separate these two stories because of the way that Nehemiah stood out versus the story of Ezra. And then the third wave, 75%. All right, open it up. 75%. Nehemiah leads the third wave back in and he realizes, man, we got to reestablish this thing. We've got to monitor what's coming in. Not, not just into the walls, but into our hearts. We got to, did you know that pornography increased by 40% in two and a half months? People were stuck at home. Satan finds work for idle hands. Do you know the alcoholism, drug abuse, bondage, addiction? Go check the statistics. Two and a half months. Nehemiah said, we've been letting too many things in. We got to get this stuff out. We got to get the right stuff in. We got to rebuild these gates. Got to reestablish this wall. Got to rebuild. And they finally get the walls rebuilt. And Ezra shows back up on the scene. In Nehemiah chapter 8, it's where we're going to take off from today. I'm going to call it the, the Watergate Revival. <laughs> yeah, see, only the 50 and overs understood how funny that was. <laughs> Anybody under 50 that doesn't understand history or politics at all, they were like, why did why my grandpa just laugh? I was like, what? <laughs> What do you think was funny? It's 1974, Watergate. Go, uh, you can go Google that later. It's kind of a thing. It's not, this is not that Watergate. This is a different Watergate. This is actually one of the main sources, a main stream in Jerusalem. This gate was set up right here at this main source of water for all the people and all the city. And it was at the main water source that Ezra decided to open up the word of God and begin to read back to the people. You remember how Jesus said, I am the bread? Jesus said, if you come to me and you're thirsty, you can take a drink and you'll never thirst again because there will be like rivers of living water that will come up in your soul. That's where Nehemiah, that's where Ezra set up and began to read a word of God. And reestablish. I believe, number one, if you're taking notes today, that we need to get back in God's word. Thank you for those four strong amens. I can really feel it this morning that you're with me. I believe that we need to get back in God's word. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 2. So Ezra the priest, he had already tried this once and it didn't really go very well. Because he was trying to reestablish order without monitoring what was going in and what was coming out. He was trying to reestablish order without boundaries. And you can't have order without boundaries. And so now he comes back in in Nehemiah chapter 8 and he begins to read the law, the word of God before the assembly of the people. The Bible says both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. See, they had children's church just like us. <laughs> There was some people who didn't understand, I'm like, okay, y'all go play with the children's pastor. Okay, so all the men and women then, and the people that could understand, watch what it says. They were right there on the first day of the seventh month. 
which is the first day of the Feast of Trumpets, or the Feast of Celebration, that would lead in to the Feast of Yom Kippur and the Feast of Sukkot. All of these big, major Jewish feasts. Ezra said, hey, we're going to open this feeding with the only thing that will really fulfill us. Verse 3, he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. And the people did not check their watch one time. And why would you say that? Because I see y'all do it, and it was just funny. <laughs> it said they, they, they would stand there, and he was facing in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. Watch, watch. And the ears of all the people were attentive. The ears of all the people. Nobody was nodding off. Nobody was trying to set their, hey, what you want for lunch? I don't want that for lunch. Amen. Nobody was scrolling on social media. The Bible said their ears of all the people were attentive to the word of God. Ezra wasn't up there giving illustrations and telling stories about his wife and children to keep you interested, making fun of himself. He was just reading God's word. And they were so hungry. Remember, because they had been without it. They were so hungry for God's word that the Bible says they stood there, attentive. Like they didn't have comfortable flower chairs. I don't know who bought these chairs. People come in, they're like, Pastor, these are some cute flower chairs. Y'all guys like, those are camouflage, get it right. <laughs> they weren't comfortable chairs. Come on, they didn't have air conditioning. They were standing in Israel, listening to God's word, attentive, for four hours. And then the Bible says this went on for 24 days. They just kept coming. Come on, we can't keep people coming for four days. 24 days, three to four hours a day. They were so hungry for God's word that they refused to relent. I believe we need to get back to the Bible. I, I, I don't know if this is the one reason. There's a lot of reasons, but I know that this is one of the reasons. I was asking, God, why, why such a backlash against the name of Jesus right now? It seems like you can say every other name. Like you can say Muhammad, say Joseph Smith, you can say Buddha. Like all those guys, they're celebrated right now. But you say Jesus, oh, hey, don't be forcing your religion on me. Come on, every other religion except for Christianity. There's backlash. Everybody like, oh, those people reserve rights, man. You need to let them worship the way they want to. You don't need to force your religion on anybody. But then all of a sudden it comes to Christianity and there's backlash. Why? Why does it seem like there's no backlash against Mormonism and Jehovah Witness and, and, and Islam? Why does it seem like there's less backlash? Could it be? Could it be? I don't know that this is the reason, but surely it's a reason. Could it be that Muslims... And Mormons and secular humanists and even Satanists are actually more committed to their books than Christians are God's book? Is it possible? Is it possible that no, most devil worshipers know their Bible better than you know yours? 
Is it possible that most philosophers and evolutionists spend more time studying why they don't believe in God than you spend studying why you do believe in God? Is it possible that the backlash isn't against Jesus at all, but the so-called saints that say they believe in him? Is it possible that people are fed up with our so-called belief when they don't see it in our behavior? Is it possible that they are in this backlash against Christians because they see Muslims pray more to a dead God than we do to the living God? Is it possible that they're frustrated with churches in their city because they see Mormons more convicted about evangelism than any Christian has ever come to their house before? I don't know. I just, is it possible that the backlash is really not a problem from the outside in, but from the inside? The secular humanist and even Satanist know how to explain why they don't believe better than Christians know how to explain why they do. What's wrong with these 25 and unders? You couldn't tell them why you believe. That's what's wrong with them. And this generation is not about blind obedience. This generation is saying the same thing that James said in his book. You show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Hear me, I believe this. Every great revival, every great revival requires a return to God's word. Every single great revival. And I don't mean a church revival. I'm not talking about a set of services that the church plans for you to attend. That's not what I'm talking about. One of the great evangelists of old, he said, Lord, bring revival Bring revival, God, and he drew a circle in the sand, and he said, and let it start right here. Every great revival, individually, as a group, will require a return to God's word. Let me say this carefully, gently. I'm not trying to offend you today. But there was a priest in the 16th century who was looking around at the practices of the church and the people in the church even the practices that he taught and he was faithful to. And he became frustrated with those practices. And he began to look into the word of God and see where these practices came from. In his books that were agreed upon by the Jewish faith and then the 23 books of the New Testament that everybody agreed upon. And he began to read things in scripture that he did not see in the people that claimed that they believed in the same scriptures. And out of frustration with tradition and practices that he could not find in scripture, he decided to return to God's word as the ultimate and the only authority. And he tacked 99 theses on the wall of the church and he began a movement that we stay to today in saying that if this is not the ultimate authority, I don't care about your traditions and I don't care about your words. I just care about what this says. And until the day that 
I die. I don't care what the national office hands down. I don't care what the leaders hand down. If it's not in line with this, it's not coming out of this, and it won't be operated in by this. I'm going to follow this word, and I'm going to follow it all the way home. This is the ultimate authority. No other man, woman, child, or tradition. Just this. And I'm not trying to offend you. But I'm not called to be faithful to you either. This is the ultimate authority. If anybody tells you anything else, it's deception. I want to challenge you. I want to join you in this challenge for the next five days. On the way to Good Friday, as we thank God for his crucifixion and his shed blood, give God five minutes a day for the next five days. In a devotional online, the YouVersion Bible app, or maybe just open up this old analog Bible. I heard one preacher say, I'm not against technology, but it hurts my heart when I go and I preach God's word. And I'm the only one in the room with my Bible. A return to God's word. A return to God's word. Number two, I believe we need to learn to praise God again. Like, like not just in a worship set or an atmosphere that's set up for us. I mean, if you can't practice your praise in a place that's conducive for you to praise then how are you ever going to praise in an atmosphere that would be offensive for you to praise? I believe we need to learn to praise God. Come on, nothing like a few hundred days of church at home to help us appreciate praising together again. Nothing like a few hundred years of exile in Babylonian Persia to help us praise God again. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27, the Bible says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. See, anything that's worth constructing is going to require a consecration. If it's worth constructing, it's worth consecrating. If it's worth the salvation of the Savior, Come on, it's worth the sanctification of the Spirit. So just building the wall was not enough. The construction of the wall was not just enough in and of itself. The wall, just like the people, the boundaries needed to be consecrated in order for them to be eternal. And the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites. They're like, hey, um, where, where are all the the priests and the pastors, and they put them in their places. <laughs> Some pastors need to be put in their places. My wife does it for you all the time. <laughs> I didn't even say that in first service. I just thought it was funny just then. To them, bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication, watch, with gladness, thanksgiving, singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. Eight times in Nehemiah chapter 12, we see the people instructed to sing. Six times in Nehemiah chapter 12, we see that that singing should be with thanksgiving. Seven times in Nehemiah chapter 12, 
we see the word joy and rejoicing. And three different times we see that they use timbrels and harps and cymbals and lyres or musical instruments. It was so important. Verse 43 said, they offered great sacrifices that day and they rejoiced. Like they didn't just attend a service. Come on, they became the servants. They rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. Now that was weird. Why would they say that? As if it was not cultural or expected of the women and the children to rejoice. The women and the children also rejoiced. I have seen in my short ministry tenure since about middle school into junior high and certainly high school that women and children seem more comfortable in rejoicing and praising than the boys and the men. I've, I've just seen it. I'm telling you, this has been my experience. If, this, if you don't fit this, then don't, don't take this on the chin. If you do, you better duck a little bit. I'm coming for you. I have noticed in, in my short tenure as a, as a young adult pastor and, and watching the, the midlife men and even our senior saints at times, that it, it seems to be very natural for the women and the children to clap and praise and sing and shout and dance before God. But, but the men, where in this passage, it was expected of the men to lead the way and the women and children to follow, it seems like in society today, help us God, that the women and children are trying to lead the way and reluctantly, eventually, the men will follow. And I believe that if we're going to return to God, we need to reprioritize God's pattern and God's purpose. Because I believe that we were created to praise. Like, not just in a worship set, but in everyday life. And the Bible says that when the men took up their post and began to praise as they were created that the women and the children began to follow. Like it was, a, it was a natural pattern. Did you know that if a child receives salvation, there's about a 30 to 40% chance that the rest of the household will receive salvation also? If a woman, a mother, receives salvation, there's about a 50% chance, 50 to 60% chance, that the rest of the house will follow. Modern day statistics. But if a man receives salvation and humbles himself therefore under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may be lifted up. When a husband and or a man becomes a son of God, there is an 80 to 90% chance that the rest of the house will follow. Because we were created to praise. The Bible says that they stood on top of the gates with their timbrels, with their harps, and with their lyres, or their wind instruments. If you do a study of the book of Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, you see these two prophecies. 
coming from the mouth of God to two men who were not of God. This prophecy was not actually to the men, but the spirit in the men. You can read that in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. It says, on the day of your creation, he had placed within them the sounds of harps or stringed instruments. On the day of creation, the Bible says to the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon, really the spirit of Lucifer within the king of Tyre and within the king of Babylon. He says, on the day I created you, I noticed the workmanship of your timbrels and your pipes. God created Lucifer in his physical makeup with the sound of string instruments and the sound of timbrels and the sound of pipes. To this day, anything about music, there are three categories that every single instrument fits within. Every single instrument that we know of fits in the category of stringed, percussion, or pipes, or wind. Lucifer did not live up to what he was created to live up to. And he began to glorify himself over glorifying God. With his pipes, he would glorify himself. With his timbrels, he would glorify himself. With his harps or stringed instruments, he would glorify himself. Hang on to that thought. Why does it seem that it is easier for us to celebrate ourselves than it is for us to celebrate our Savior? Oh, come on. I have seen grown men break down into quivering tears over the fact that they shot an animal with large horns. You want to see a grown man cry, put a big deer in front of him at about 120 yards. <laughs> Pow! Calling everybody, scaring everything off of everybody else. Don't even care. I have seen grown men dance around well-manicured lawns because they put a small round ball into a small hole 20 feet away. I'm talking dance. Throw a club up in the air and start waving them like they just didn't care. Come on, I've seen mamas and daddies and aunties and uncles. That's my North Louisiana twang with you. I've seen people celebrate their children over God-given gifts and abilities. Boy, if they can sing, oh, they're going to American Idol. I know it's not a thing anymore, but they're going to bring it back just for my baby. You ought to hear them. You ought to hear them. Woo, that baby can sing. Daddy's standing up, clapping, shouting gymnastic meets they made the cheer team mama's done gone crazy up in the stands you see that she get it from her mama that's me I handed it down yeah still got it too y'all I've seen parents lose their minds I'm talking throw their salvation in the trash can at a stranger that doesn't know how to call a strike Talking, lose it. Calling them names. Cussing like an idiot. Celebrating their children. I 
I've seen people celebrate and scream and holler for people they don't even know because that person happens to be on their favorite team or wearing their favorite colors. Give you an example. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. That's the first time somebody said woo in three services. Why? Because we were created to praise, but we get to choose where the praise is directed. Why does it seem like it's so natural? The same people that will shout for themselves and shout for their child and shout for their favorite team, they worship like this. God forbid somebody say something to them about it. They'll leave the church. Say something to me. God knows my heart. God does know your heart. He saw you worship everything but him all week long. Done stepped in it. So natural for us to praise temporary things. So uncomfortable for us to praise the one for which we were created to praise. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And after Satan and a third of heaven fell with him, I saw my father take stones in the form of little dirt pebbles and mold them together and breathe the breath of life into them. And to this day, the wind that comes out of my lungs, given by a perfectly holy heavenly father, passes over the stringed instruments that he positioned in my throat. And I am instructed to lift up my hands in the sanctuary and clap them together because my God gave me some timbrels for which I can praise him. And yet it's so uncomfortable. Why? Because it's so unfamiliar. If you can't practice it in an atmosphere that's conducive for you, then how are you ever going to produce it in an atmosphere that's offensive for you? Jesus in Luke chapter 19 is coming down into the city of Jerusalem. It's the first Palm Sunday. I called this message, Stones Can Sing. I'll tell you what I wanted to call it in a minute. It's kind of silly, but it made me laugh. So if I'm the only one that laughs, that's okay. Joy comes from the Lord, not from you. Nehemiah stones. (laughs) Nehemiah stones and the walls and the gates that Nehemiah built 400 years earlier are in the eyesight of our Savior. He's coming down the hill. John chapter 12 actually says that the people ran out of the city with their palm leaves, waving them at Jesus. Now I know these are palmetto leaves. These are Louisiana palm trees. It's okay. Just hang in there with me. Pastor Weston stole these from somebody's yard and brought them to me. It's his birthday though, so can't nobody say nothing to him. Hey, look, they like you. 
Kelsey ain't even in here. They clapping for you. <laughs> your baby's gone too. They really love you. That's how you know people love you. They act like they love you when your babies and your wife aren't around. <laughs> oh, they really do like me. Bible says the people came running out of the city, waving palm trees, waving palm branches at Jesus. They met him up on the hill. Come on, you ever, you ever ran uphill to praise Jesus? <laughs> they ran uphill to praise Jesus. And Jesus is coming down across the valley, overseeing the city of Jerusalem and the wall of Nehemiah. And the people meet him. And the Bible says, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. He didn't even have to ask them for the offering. They just gave it. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice. He didn't even open in prayer. They just started praising. They began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. The Bible said back in the book of Nehemiah that, that the sound of their song, the sound of the songs coming out of Jerusalem was heard from far away. Those people were positioned at the water gate and the sheep gate and the broad gate. Come on, there was a big choir on the broad gate. And all the people of God were singing the praises of God. And the Bible says it was heard from far off distances. What is going on at New Hope? I mean in Jerusalem. What's happening over there? And I can tell you right now, it wasn't the voices of the women and children alone that were resounding across that valley and across and over the top of those walls so that people could hear far away. I believe in my spirit, it was the reverberation of the baritone and the bass shooting across that city so that ears from far away had to wonder what was happening there. Jesus is coming down into that city drawing near to those stones and the people are praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works but I, I love this that they had seen they weren't praising Jesus for what he was doing my man's riding on a donkey I had to tell this it's funny enough to share again Like if I'd have been a disciple Jesus brought his disciples over. He's like, hey, I want you to go into the city. They're like, yes, Lord. I want you to go to the nearest house. Yes, Father. I want you to find me, yes, a donkey. What? My man wants a donkey. We're going to get him a donkey. <laughs> going to the city. Like, I'd have stole a horse for him. I don't know why he wants me to get him a donkey. I'm going to bring Jesus a donkey. You don't show up with a horse when he asks for a donkey. You bring him back a donkey. Here comes Jesus. <laughs> Into the city. Hey. You ever try to ride one of those things? Here he comes. People are praising him and singing. He's looking at over the walls for the things that they had seen. They weren't praising him for what he was about to do. Was the last time that you didn't just praise God for what you hoped for or what you expected for, but you just praised him for the things that he's already done and you didn't need him to do anything else. 
praising him for what they had already seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees, the traditional people, my bad, in the crowd said to him, teacher, this isn't how we do this in our church. They said, teacher, this is a place of reverence. Teacher, you're letting the people be weird. I'm going to go back to the place that's comfortable for me to practice my praise. This is awkward. These people are too excited. Be careful how you judge people in the middle of their praise because you don't know what they're currently praising through and who they're praising them to get them through. The Pharisees, teacher, rebuke them. And Jesus said, I can't do that. Here's what I think he was saying. I saw Satan fall like lightning. And I saw a third of heaven go with him. And I saw God take the stones of the ground, bust it up as the dust of the earth. And he fashioned a body in his image and likeness for his glory. And he breathed life into that body. So if I shut this body up, the only other place that the praise can come from is that the stones are going to start singing themselves. I can't stop them. There's too much in them. Every breath that has life, praise the Lord. If these things are silence, those stones are going to start singing. Because Nehemiah and all the people have already sung on them like they know the songs. And if you think the people praising is weird, wait until the concrete starts shouting. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things, every single thing was created through him and for him. Church, why is it easier to worship created things than it is the creator of the things. He said, I am the Lord thy God. You shall have no other gods before me, even your children. Let there be no carved, engraven, or inflated Leather images that take my place in how you praise. A kid can hit a round ball with a round bat. We lose our mind. Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, paid for all the sin of all mankind, and we want to praise him like this. All things created through him and for him. James said it this way. Well, preacher, I believe in Jesus. Isn't that enough? I believe in him. Chapter 2, verse 19, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Good. You don't openly proclaim that you're a devil worshiper. Congratulations. I love what he said. You didn't buy the new Nike shoes. (laughs) 
All the 25 and unders got to laugh that time. Your 50s are was like, what's happened to Nike shoes? I, I got Nike shoes. I need to throw my Nikes away. <laughs> you believe there's one, I'm sorry. You believe there's one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble with fear because we were created to praise but we get to choose the direction in which our praise goes. So we can either be triumphant in Christ or we can tremble before Christ. The decision is up to us. I choose to be triumphant. I don't want my son to think that worship is something that a woman does. I want him to know that the most masculine thing that he can do is posture himself in surrender to an almighty, perfectly holy, heavenly father who in him all things were created and he created all things. So I say this, let's go meet Jesus with our praise. Let's praise Jesus with our palms. Let's run uphill this week. Come on, get outside of the wall. Isn't it funny? He didn't wait till he got inside the wall to, for the people to meet him to praise because he understood that the best place for you to praise is not in an atmosphere that is conducive, but in an atmosphere that is offensive. So this week, I want you to run and meet Jesus with your palms of praise. Oh, you think I mean these palms? No, 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 friend. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. Lift up your hands, the people of God. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Hold on to what is good. Hold fast to the things that God has. Strengthen your hands for the good works. So I surrender to God. I clap unto God. I lift my hands unto God. And these palms are the palms of praise that go to the Father. We've made a tradition out of these palms, God wants us to be convicted with these palms this Sunday. Just five days from when Jesus, can you see him? My sin put him up there. It was my fallenness that he stretched his hands out on the crossover. He stretched his eyes and he saw me cross my arms. He stretched his hands and he saw me serve myself over others. He looked up into the heavens and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He took the breath. He sent it through the strings in his throat. And he declared across creation, it is finished for that he is worthy 
of our praise. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Father, we open our hands and surrender this morning. For those who follow Jesus and they're confident of who they are in Christ, may we get out of our comfort zone, rise up and build. May we strengthen our hands for the good work. May we monitor what comes in and what comes out. May we build boundaries and and accountability and be faithful to them and to you. May we become like the brother of Jesus said, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Lord, I pray for any person in this room right now who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, who is not confident of who they are in you. They wonder, man, if today were the day, if I had to stand before him, would he say, well done, good and faithful servant, or would he say, depart from me? I didn't know you, and you didn't know me. If that's you right now, I wanna invite you to simply open your palms and begin to let go Begin to ask forgiveness for the things that are holding you back. Begin to open your hands spiritually, physically, and surrender the things that you've been hanging on to so tightly. Let God have them. He's already paid for them. They're His. Stop holding on to them. And in the same posture, you begin to receive the salvation that the open arms of Jesus Christ paid for on a cross called Calvary. Receive the forgiveness. Receive the peace. Church, I wanna invite you to pray loud so that anybody in this room that is not confident of who they are in Christ will begin to pray out loud. Lord, help us to pray this together. Let us use our words to call upon your name. Thank you that you hear us right now. Come on, church, let's pray it together. Jesus, forgive me when my praise has been misdirected. I've been disobedient, divided, distracted, but I believe you paid for that on the cross. You shed your blood that cleanses me from all my sin. When I receive what you did, I become like you. You were raised from the dead so I could be born again. So may I surrender everything I have all to you, Jesus. Take it all. I will follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now clap your hands, all you people. Somebody shout unto God with a voice of triumph.